Well, I'm extremely grateful for Collective and this church. Um, I, I met Casey for the first time a few years ago before this church was planted and just sat down and had lunch with him. We have some mutual friends, and it was just so awesome to hear his heart. Uh, I love Casey's heart for the Lord and his heart for people, um, and excited for you as a church to have him coming back to serve. I met Lorenzo for the first time this week, um, and we had coffee, which was awesome. I don't know if you know this, but Lorenzo is Canadian. Um, and it's pretty impossible to hate a Canadian. Uh, it's really difficult. You have to be a pretty terrible person to hate a Canadian. Hating Canadians is like hating puppies. Um, you have to be really a pretty terrible person. They have, I don't know if you know this, they have ketchup flavored potato chips in Canada. And their dollar coin is called the Looney. It's an adorable country and I, I got to hear his heart and, and just thankful for his ministry here and thankful for him, um, especially in this season and his, his love for the Lord as well and his love for you here. And, and I serve at a church um, just down the street, like Lorenzo said, called Cornerstone West LA. I actually, we're, we are so close that I walked here today from our church. Um, just down the, I'm not like a hippie or anything, but I, I walked here because we're less than a mile away from you. And, and I think there's, um, there's just a reminder as I was walking, it's easy to think of churches close to each other as like competing or something like that. Just a reminder as I was walking um, uh, down the street, just passing hundreds and thousands of people and, and just reminded of how necessary it is for church plants to go out in this city, how necessary it is for, for congregations of brothers and sisters in Christ to gather together, to proclaim the gospel together to a city that desperately needs it. And so we're so thankful for Collective. I'm so thankful for Collective. We need more faithful gospel-preaching churches in this city, and we're excited that you're here. And I've been at West LA for about 12 years now, and um, I just have the privilege of serving at a local church, and I just love, I love the local church. I love what the local church is designed to be. I love what it is, but it wasn't always that way in my life. I grew up in a, a very dysfunctional church, actually, um, a church that was full of politics and power struggles and um, gossip and a, a ton of just unhealthy relationships in the church. And so for a long time, after I, I left um, my parents' home, for a long time, I actually was kind of burned out on the institutional church. And I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that. Um, and you can probably relate if you have. And it, it just was a season for me where I was questioning and wondering, God, I want to know you and I want to grow, but, but these churches and these institutions seem to just get in the way of what you've called us to as Christians. So why do you do this? Why has this happened? And I was burned out on the idea of the local church and left for a while. Um, and that was a difficult season for me in a lot of ways, but what I um, began to realize God began doing something on my heart and I began to see for the first time, and it's kind of a, a longer story that I won't share, um, I got a chance to see for the first time a local church functioning the way that God had designed it to function. I got to see relationships of sacrifice and love that I had never seen in the church growing up. I got to see some, some things that, that in a local church that, that was just such a blessing for me that I had never seen before and, and God called me into ministry at the same time as me falling in love with God's design for the local church. And I began to see in scripture too, I began to learn about things like the Trinity and thinking about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and, and the fact that God in his nature is relational. 
that God in his nature is a relational God and we made in his image are also designed to be relational people. We're not meant to do this alone. I began to see just in scripture as well, just other things, everything just kind of collided together. This, this, um, this plan of God from the beginning that, that he was carving out a people for himself, a community for himself to worship him and know him. It says all over the Bible, they will be my people and I will be their God. I began to see and understand what God meant when he said that the church is the body of Christ, that, that local gatherings of brothers and sisters in Christ are designed to represent and display Christ to the world. That that's our calling. That's, that that's what we're called to do. Jesus says actually in John um, 15, I think, that they will know that you are my disciples by your love for, 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 one, for one and one another. And I was just rocked by that and rocked by God's design for the local church. I began to see that Christian community was central to God's plan, that I wasn't designed to do this alone. I wasn't designed to walk this life alone. The church is not an afterthought. And my eyes were opened to see that, that God has chosen to accomplish his glorious and eternal plan through the church, through everyday, ordinary relationships in the church because our God loves to use ordinary things and there's few things more ordinary than a local church and relationships in a local church we can make it look um, special and cool or whatever but at the end of the day these are relationships this is a church of people connecting with other people and there's few things more ordinary in this world than relationships and God accomplish extraordinary purposes and that's the story of the book of Acts that you have been preaching through um, for like a hundred years or whatever. You guys have been preaching it through a long time. The story of the book of Acts is that God is using his people to carry his message in his power to the ends of the earth for his glory. Pastor Trevor a few weeks ago said that the story of Acts is the story of a small community of people who radically changed the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. And what we see in our passage today is a picture of what God designed that community to look like. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be looking at Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, and we'll be looking at verses 33 through 38. Um, I normally say there's Bibles in the pews in front of you, but there's not. So there's Bibles in the back, I think. We have pews. Our building is like 100 years old or something. It's all falling down. Who cares? I don't care. Acts 20, verses 33 through 38. Coming to the end of Paul's speech to the Ephesian elders, he says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you, that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul, probably like Lorenzo embraced Casey, and kissed him. You kiss him, Lorenzo? <laughs> Not going to say 
being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. The word of the Lord. This is the last time that the Apostle Paul is going to see the, the leaders of the church of Ephesus. And this is a church he spent um, and invested uh, tons of time, energy, and effort into over the years. And he's on his way to Jerusalem, and he stops off um, just to give some parting words to people that he loves. Pastor Obed a few weeks ago said that the big idea of this section is its vital instructions for leaders that reveal valuable truths for all believers. This is a section that's about Paul and his relationship with leaders of the church, but really it's not just for leaders, it's for all of us, all who follow Christ. The truths in this section are valuable truths for all who proclaim Christ and follow him. And what I love about this section, it's one of, it's a, one of my favorite sections in all of scripture actually, what I love about this section is that the Apostle Paul doesn't just teach about having deep Christian relationships. You can read Ephesians and Philippians, and you could read other um, books that maybe would have been easier to preach first when you plant a church, and you could read these books. Um, that's not a dig, just, you know, saying Philippians might have been easy, but um, you could read these books, and you can see the Apostle Paul teaching, and he teaches, and he says, you need to love one another and bear one another's burdens. You need to live these incredibly connected lives with one another, but he doesn't just teach about it. He models it and displays it in his own life. And that's what's so powerful about this section here. He models it. He says, in all these things I have shown you, he's demonstrated this kind of affection and love and community in his own relationships. He's not a hypocrite. And we get the sense for the depth of the relationship that Paul and the Ephesian elders have in how they respond to his parting words. Look more closely at verses 36 through 38 with me. Kind of going backwards, going to start with the end of the text first. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. There's this depth of relationship here in this passage between Paul and these leaders here. And the first thing I want to notice is they, they kneel down and they pray together at the end of Paul's words. He completes his speech, and the very first thing he does and they do is they kneel down and they pray together. There's something about, um, there's something about gathering together to commune with God that brings people together in community with each other. There's something about prayer, praying together, praying together as God's people, going to God together as his people that binds people together. When you pray together in the, the battlefields of life, in the ups and downs of life, it binds you together in ways that nothing else can. Praying together produces a, a spiritual intimacy, a deep connection and affection that comes from being united to God together. But notice also, uh, secondly, that not only do they pray together, but there's this weeping and this embracing and kissing and sorrow. There's this intensity of emotion in this scene. I think it would be easy for us to say, oh, well, that's, that's to be expected. Goodbyes are hard. I've had goodbyes. You've had goodbyes. Goodbyes are hard. We know that goodbyes are difficult. And I would say that's probably not always true. There's something unique going on here. When I was a kid, I was on vacation 
with my dad. Um, and I, I just absolutely head over heels fell in love with this Ecuadorian girl named Joanna. <sighs> Joanna. I was so in love. My wife is not here. You guys don't post this online, do you? Okay, so Joanna, I got distracted. Joanna, um, it, was a, it was perfect. I, uh, she was 15 years old. I was 12, but I told her I was 14. So it was a relationship built on lies. She didn't speak any English. I didn't speak much Spanish. It was perfect. When we first met, um, we were dancing to play that funky music, White Boy. And I was like, this is me. I'm the white boy. She's like, yeah. It was love. And I remember as we left the, um, the vacation, I remember uh, just crying. It was like my first love. And I was just crying and just like weeping. Just Joanna, Joanna. And I remember looking back and I saw her. And she was just kind of slightly waving. See ya. She didn't care at all. Every, every oscillation of her hand was like a hammer crushing my heart. You see, not every goodbye is an emotional goodbye. It was emotional for me, but for Joanna, she didn't care at all. She's probably never thought of me again. She probably forgot me the next day. She didn't care at all. There was no depth of relationship. There was nothing actually there. There was nothing, it was all me emoting on her, and she probably didn't care about me at all. But the reality is that there's something unique going on in this, in this goodbye. There's something deep and emotional on both sides, unlike my relationship with Joanna. There's something deep and, and affectionate going on between Paul and the leaders of this church that is uh, um, compelling and, and incredible that Paul has such deep relationships with these Christians here. This is a relationship that Paul has had with him that has left a mark in their lives. It's a relationship that has had an enormous impact on the lives of these Ephesian leaders. This is a kind of intimacy and affection that I think all of us long for and I think quite frankly we rarely ever experience. Why is it that we all want these deep, life-changing Christian relationships, but we have such a difficult time making them happen? It brings up this question, how did this happen? How, or what kind of things are required for this kind of depth of relationship, this kind of community to form, for these kinds of deep rela relationships to develop? And I think the answer to that question comes in verse 35. Look at verse 35 with me. He tells these leaders that in all these things he's shown you that by working hard in this way must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. At the close of Paul's speech, he he quotes Jesus, and it's a, a quote that doesn't really come up anywhere else in Scripture, but we don't have really any reason to doubt that Jesus actually said it. Um, and it's a phrase that I think sounds nice. It's more blessed to receive. No, wait, hold on. It's more blessed to give than to receive. The flesh speaking. It's more blessed to give than to receive. It's something maybe, I don't know, um, I feel like my mother-in-law might have up 
on the wall of her kitchen. You know, I don't know. It's like one of those statements that I think is, oh yeah, it's more blessed to give than to receive. But the problem is when you start thinking about what Jesus is saying there, I don't think we actually believe it. I don't think we believe it. We didn't believe it when we were two years old and our mom told us to share the toy with the neighbor kid that we hated but always came over to our house. We, uh, and we still to this day probably don't even realize it, but I don't think we actually believe this statement from Jesus. I don't think we actually believe that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I think part of the reason why this is such a, a difficult thing for us is because we are by nature consumers. And I think it's worse um, that we live in America where, you know, you go to the store and there's, you know, 50 different types of toothpaste that you get to choose, whichever one you want that fits exactly the kind of, you know, uh, mintiness that you like or whatever. And you, you go and there's a hundred different types of bread and you go and there's, there's a million terrible shows to watch on Netflix. Whatever it is, everything in our country is catered to our preferences and our desires. Everywhere we go, everywhere we go is catered to us as consumers. We are by nature consumers and our culture emphasize it. And the, the, the thinking, I think, that underlines all of these consumeristic tendencies in us, this idea of what can this, you know, uh, what kind of things should I choose? What, uh, what do I choose in this uh, aisle of, uh, you know, all these different deodorants and how do you even make that decision? The, the thinking that underlies all of this is what does this offer me? What do I get from this fill in the blank? This product, this um, thing, whatever it is that is being sold to me maybe, what do I get? How does this help me? What do I get from this? What is it offering to me? And this consumeristic mentality, I think it, it begins to bleed into other things in our lives. We move to a new neighborhood, maybe. And the biggest question we ask is, how, how, how can this neighborhood serve me? What, what do I get from being in this neighborhood? What does it offer me? Or maybe... You meet a new person at church, they're a little bit different, and we ask, what would I, what would I get from being this person's friend? And we would never say that out loud, we know that's wrong. We never say it out loud, but it's the dominant question in our heart. And this is the thinking that is um, at the heart of all division and factions and cliques that come up in the church, and it's a cancer. We're consumers. And Jesus says it's more blessed to give than receive. The word give here doesn't mean like give a hug or, you know, like something simple. It actually implies something deeper. The word give here implies sacrifice and laying down your rights and your life for someone to, to dedicate oneself to a purpose or cause. And Jesus doesn't just teach it, he shows it in his life. Jesus, God in the flesh, comes to earth and proclaims, this is my body given for you. Here, 
he comes to earth. He says the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Our God is not a consumer. Our God is a servant. Our God is a God who um, doesn't look down from heaven and look at his people and say, what can these people do for me? He says, how can I serve them? And he calls us as his body, as his people, as his community to display this sacrificial love to one another. He calls us to be people who ask, what can I give, not what can I get? He calls us to love one another as he loved us, giving up his life for our sake. This consumeristic mentality is, is, is prevalent in so many different ways. It's prevalent in how we make decisions about church. It's prevalent in how we make decisions about relationships and friendships. And it gets really messy and nasty. And Jesus comes into the world the one guy who has the right to be the consumer, the one guy who has the right to say everything in the world is for me. It's all for me. What does this offer me? He's the only one ever who has the right to do so. And he comes and says, I'm here to serve. Not to get, I'm here to serve. How can I serve? And that's the kind of love we've experienced in Christ. That's what he calls us to in the church. And that's what made these relationships that Paul had with these Ephesian leaders so powerful and deep and profound is that they lived out this love that they've experienced from Christ. They lived it out together with one another, sacrificially giving up, being blessed not by getting what you can, but by serving and giving up what you have. What would it look like for collective church to live like this, to be a community drenched in this kind of love? Lorenzo was catching me up um, about what was going on with Casey and, and uh, how you as a church have responded. And I just, um, I just was so encouraged with his words. He's describing... Uh, a season for a church that is incredibly difficult. He's describing a season for a church that can derail a church from its vision and its mission. He's describing a season for a church that could be incredibly uh, uh, harmful to people. And you, as collective church, stood up and said, no, we are going to be a people who sacrifice for one another, lay down our lives for one another, and serve one another. And I cannot tell you how encouraging it is to hear that. How encouraging it is to see that you are living out these principles that Paul lived out with the Ephesians here in this church. And what I would say to you out of this passage right now in this moment is, is uh, keep going. Don't stop. Don't give up this, this mentality that says, I'm not here to get what I can get. I'm here to give and serve. Keep going. Don't give up with this mentality, even as things return to more normal here, whatever that looks like. And I think what Paul does in this passage as well, I want to take it more practical because what he shows us in this passage, not just this beautiful picture of sacrificial love, this beautiful picture of a Christ-centered community that sees and believes it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, but, but he gives practical examples, practical ways in how that can be manifested in his life, in our lives. I think true Christian community requires us 
to give. And, and I think the three, there are three things in this passage that Paul demonstrates and shows that he calls us to give in this passage. Look back at verses 33 to 34 with me. We skipped over those earlier. This is the end of Paul's speech to the Ephesian elders, and he says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all these things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak. I think the first thing we see in this passage that is the mark of true Christian community that lives out this sacrificial love is a willingness to give up our desired lifestyle. Um, this passage is fascinating for a variety of reasons, but as an apostle, Paul could have demanded more money from the church. Paul easily could have demanded more money from the church, and he didn't. He wasn't jealous of the things that other people had that he didn't have. Instead, what he says is he worked hard. And by trade, um, we know this from other places in, in, uh, in the Bible, that Paul was a tent maker. So um, he, he made tents for a living. The guy who wrote you know, most of the New Testament was bivocational in ministry. He was a tent maker. And, and you can imagine as he's saying this, he says, these hands ministered to my necessities. He's talking and referring to his own hands. You can imagine him you know, putting out his hands so they could see. They're probably um, cut up and calloused from all the work that he did as a tent maker. And why did he do this? Why did he live this way? He says to take care of his own needs, but also to help others. And he encourages the leaders to do the same, to help the weak, to help those who are less financially stable. Paul offers a fascinating twist on the American virtue of work hard, play hard. In this passage, he says, basically, work hard and give it all away which is not exactly as catchy as work hard, play hard. It's probably why it didn't catch on. Work hard and give it all away, and he shows in his example how to do so. What Paul does in this passage is radical. His love for people caused him to live a different lifestyle. And the implications of this are massive for us. Um, I think it's extremely important for us to consider this and think about this in West L.A., especially because it's so expensive here, and in some ways this kind of limits us um, in a variety of ways. And I get that, and I understand that in a ton of ways. But I want to say, um, out of this passage, thinking about the fact that Paul gave up his lifestyle that he could be living as an apostle in order to give more money away. And I want to I say, um, I think that has maybe controversial impacts for our lives. And the first is this. You cannot live sacrificially this way if you live at or above your means. What I mean is, if your lifestyle, you, the kind of place you live in, how much money you spend on eating out or on clothes or shopping or whatever it is, if your lifestyle demands that you have to use all of your income on the things to make your life just happen, 
You cannot serve other people this way. We don't think like this in our lives. Our thoughts are so often, what kind of lifestyle can I live with and still pay the bills? Paul's thoughts are, what kind of lifestyle should I live so I can bless other people? The question that Paul asks himself is, and I think it's a question that's important for us to ask ourselves as well. And you may say, I don't have any money. You can check my bank account. I don't have any money. And that's very possible. And maybe you're in a situation, I also want to speak to those in a situation of difficult financial uh, um, situations because I know that in this passage, you might be the weak. You might be the one who the church needs to come alongside and serve and care for in a season of difficulty. And I, I want to I put that out there very clearly. But the question that Paul asks himself, and I think we need to as well, is how can I live more simply so that I can give more away? It's radical. It's radical in the American church. It's radical in America in general. It's a radical kind of love that actually is giving in the way Christ gives to us. The second thing that I think practical application of giving, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. I think Paul demonstrates for us that not only are, does he give up his desired lifestyle, he also gives up his time. In this passage, you see, if you look at verse 31, I think, he describes that um, he was with them for three years. One of the reasons that Paul had such deep relationships with these leaders is the amount of time he spent with them. He spent three years with them, three years of intentional, purposeful investment. He says night and day he admonished them. I really appreciate that. It's, I think it's relevant for us, again, in West L.A., because you might be thinking, I'm only supposed to be here for three years. You might have come here. I don't know how many of you are transplants or how many of you um, grew up in L.A., but I think a lot of people come to L.A. and they say, I'm only going to be here for three years, so I don't really need to make any kind of deep, personal, relational investments in this season. How can you have deep, personal, relational investment in this season? I'm only here for a few years. I'm here for grad school. I'm here for, um, I'm here for a job. I'm here for whatever. I'm not going to be here forever. And a lot of us are here thinking, I'm not going to be here forever, so I'm going to kind of limit the amount of time I invest in this place. And, and so you say, I'm only here for three years. What can I do? Paul had three years with the Ephesian elders and look at their relationship. Jesus had three years with the disciples and that's all he had. And here we are 2,000 years later. Three years is enough time to invest. It's not about the length of time. It's about how you spend that time while you're here. If you're here for a week, I would say the same thing is if you're here for the rest of your life. Invest deeply. Don't waste time. Give time for relationships. Relationships don't just, you give time to relationships. They need time. They need investment of time. And you see that in Paul's example here. And it's easy for us, I think, to, to think, um, uh, man, my time is my own. And this passage, and I think the, the entire New Testament calls us to something radically different. 
The time that you have used wisely to invest in relationships. A few years ago, I, um, I, ha- I wanted some crushed ice. I don't know. I'm not sure why. I love crushed ice. I don't know. Maybe there's a reason, but I love it. I love crushed ice. And at our, our apartment, we only had um, like the big block square ice, which is, you know, maybe it's good for bourbon or something, but it's not good for, um, not good for me when I want crushed ice. And so <laughs> I did the thing that is, um, I think, uh, what everyone would do probably in this situation. Um, and I decided to try to crush um, the ice with uh, uh, a paring knife. Um, and it was a huge shock, and I'm sure it's a shock to you, but I, I cut off the top of my thumb. Um, it, so it was not my finest moment. Um, and just to give you a sense of me, like my first thought was, oh man, what am I going to tell my wife? Because she's going to be so angry that I was so stupid. Um, <laughs> So I wrapped a bunch of paper towels in and I had a, a guy was coming over for dinner um, that was in my community group and, and uh, so he came over and I, I, he's like, oh, what happened? I was like, oh, just, you know, a little cut, don't worry about it. And we, we sat there and we ate dinner and after dinner I, I was like, okay, so I put a lot of pressure on it. I was like, the whole dinner, I was like pushing it into my hand. It's like, oh, p- please, please stop bleeding. Um, and I, I, pulled the, I pulled the napkin back and just blood just shot up everywhere. I was like, okay, well. And so I showed it to him. He's like, yeah, you probably need to go to the ER. I was like, okay. Um, the ER is not a fun place to be, and it's an even less fun place to be by yourself. And so my friend Rob's like, hey, I'll go with you. Something simple, something small. So we go into the ER, and... Um, you know, the nurses ask, hey, what happened? And I show them, and I tell them, and they laugh and laugh and laugh. Um, that moment was the beginning of one of my closest relationships here in Los Angeles with him. And in that moment, it's such a simple thing, such a small thing, and such a, a silly story in so many ways. And yet, Rob, in that moment, had a willingness to give up his time just to be with me, just to be with me so I didn't have to be alone while I was laughed at by nurses and doctors, just to be with me and to talk and have more time to get to know me and for me to get to know him. There's a willingness to give up time that I think is crucial to having deep relationships in the context of the local church. We need to have a willingness to give up a desired lifestyle and a willingness to give up time. And third, Um, From this passage, I think there's a willingness that we need to have to give up energy for Christian community. Paul gives us an example of that, um, but I think one of the greatest barriers for us to experience deep Christian community is that we have so much of an idealism of what Christian community is supposed to be. There's this ideal out there. You see it all over, you know, 
uh, uh, TV shows, reality shows. You see it all over uh, in the world. There's this idea out there that people just, two people just click and just connect and there's just immediate chemistry in relationships. And we're all looking for this like easy relationship. It's so hard. Why is it so hard? I don't know why it's so hard. We're looking for connections that are quick, that are quick and easy, this chemistry. And I, and I think this ideal of what Christian community is, this ease of building relationships, is something that is incredibly destructive to the health of a church. Relationships require energy. They require investment and work. Andy Crouch calls this the problem of easy everywhere. Everywhere in life, it's easy. We just expect everything to be easy. It shouldn't have to be hard and difficult. We push a button and have a deep Christian relationship, and it's not how it works. Lives are changed with an investment of energy and passion and purpose and emotion. And, and Paul um, uh, was preaching to them night and day with tears. He was weeping with them. He, he invested energy and time with these people. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, a pastor in, during Nazi Germany, and he was actually killed um, by the Nazis. And he has this incredible book called Life Together about living the Christian life to, together. This life together. I, don't know, this, I didn't mean to do that. It was written in German, so it probably was different in German. But here's this quote about Christian community and the need to invest energy and give energy into our relationships. He says, Innumerable times a whole Christian community has broken down because it has sprung from a wish dream we are very likely to bring a very definite idea of what Christian life together should be. But God's grace speedily shatters such dreams. By sheer grace, God will not permit us to live even for a brief period in a dream world. Only that fellowship which faces such disillusionment with all its unhappy and ugly aspects begins to see what it should be in God's sight. He who loves his dream of community more than the Christian community itself destroys the community God desires to create. A family member of mine once, I won't mention who it is, once told me that he wanted to, he was so annoyed with people at his church that he wanted to create an invite-only church where only people he invited are allowed to come. Some of you are like, eh, that's not a bad idea. We kind of laugh at the idea because it's completely opposite of God's desire and plan for the church. And yet in some ways we do this in our lives. In some ways, we do this already in our lives with the relationships that we have. It's so easy for us to be invite-only in our relationships with people, especially in the church. And I think the greatest impact of this wish dream, this idealized idea of uh, the Christian community, is a, a tendency towards passivity. There's a tendency towards saying, well, if it's not easy, then I'm just going to you know, wait for it to happen. We wait for it to happen. We wait for deep relationships to develop on their own. And that's not how they work. It's never how they work. True community never just happens. It's the result of purposeful, intentional giving of time, energy, and effort to relationships for the glory of God. I hate that I'm the first person maybe to tell you this, but you're weird. You're a weird person. And people throughout your life have tried to sugarcoat it. 
by saying you're unique or you're a snowflake or you're special. But the reality is that you are just, these are all just nice ways of saying you're weird. You have so many things about you that are weird. And I don't know you, but I know you're weird. Your parents did a lot of things that were weird. And you're still doing those things. And not only are you weird, but you're sinful too. And your weirdness and your sinfulness make it difficult to live in community with you. Community requires, this kind of deep Christian relationship requires the energy of forgiveness. It's hard to forgive. And yet forgiveness is a powerful way to display the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a watching world. There's no forgiveness in the world. Community requires forbearance and sacrifice. True Christian community requires conflict and learning how to be patient with one another. Superficial relationships require none of that. Just a a thin layer of compatibility. You like TV? I like TV. Great. Christian relationships, if you want deep Christian community, it requires energy to wrestle with and bear with one another and your weirdness and your sinfulness. I think in this passage, Paul gives us a powerful picture of Christian community, of what it can be in depth, what it can be when we live as his people, believing that it's more blessed to give than to receive, to give up our desired lifestyles, perhaps, or our time, or our energy. And at the core of this all is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The God who left his desired lifestyle of heaven to come to earth and take on flesh and live as a homeless, broke man here among us. Everything he could ever want in heaven and he leaves it and gives it up for you. And when he's on earth, he's here for... 33 years or whatever, and he, he's not just here, he's investing in people. He's spending his time invested in people who, who carried on this message to other people, who carried on this message to other people and brought us to where we are today. You understand that, right? Christian relationships, starting from Jesus and the disciples, has led us to be who we are now. And if you want to change the world, it starts with the person next to you. That's how Jesus did it. He invested in people. He never even wrote a book. You realize that. We have a book, but he never even wrote a book. He just invested in people. He invested his energy, his time, his energy, his tears. He wept. He sweated. He bled for us. He gives and he gives and he gives and he gives so we can know him, so we can be reconciled to him, so our sins can be washed away, and so that we can know what true love and true relationships look like, so we can reflect his love 
the world. Pray with me.